You are listening to a Crosspoint Peachtree City podcast. For more information, please visit our website at www.crosspointptc.com. Cross Point Church. Uh, me and my mom came up here uh, last night. We ate at Palmer's. This is a great place to come and eat. And even me and my mom were talking this morning about how Peachtree City was built and kind of how it's kind of the historical uh, thought of kind of putting um, some of the go-karts together and all golf carts. And so that was really cool. So you guys might have a future member here in a few years. You might want to move up here. So it's a great place. Very thankful for you all. My name is John Schroeder, and together we are planting a church in America's Georgia called the Well Church. Uh, we do that because we believe in John chapter 4, this, this idea of Jesus encountering the woman at the well. And your generosity, your partnership allows us to pursue our vision at our church, which is to meet people where they are, to take them to where Jesus is. And we want you to know that your partnership is a huge a component of that. We want to thank you guys. And praise report, hopefully in August, we will actually start our first Sunday morning service. So we want to give praise to the Lord for that. Thank y'all so much for your generosity and your partnership with us. And here's what I would like to know, uh, like to do. I pray for you. We pray for you as a church. So what I want to do before we dive into the scripture together is I want to pray over you for your generosity, for your partnership, that the Lord would continue to bless you. And then we'll dive into the word together. Father, I thank you so much for Crosspoint Church. I thank you for their generosity. I thank you for their partnership. I thank you for Jamie and his leadership and, uh, Lord, meeting with him throughout the cohorts over the past few years. He's been a blessing to me and our church. I pray, Lord, that you would continue to bless this church. Let this church be a shining place in this city. We pray, Lord, for transformation both within these walls and outside of these walls. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Crosspoint Church, you and we are in the book of Psalms this morning. We'll be in Psalm 37, so if you want to go ahead and and turn your Bibles to there, we're going to get there in just a few minutes. If you do not have a Bible with you, there should be one around you. Please take that home with you. Uh, Read it uh, this morning with us, and um, maybe throughout the week you can find some people to, to walk through the scriptures together as well. Jamie has rightly stated that not only are the Psalms given to us for information, as in who is God and what has he done, but it's also given to us for our transformation. Amen? That the Holy Spirit will illuminate the very words of God to exalt and show us the word of God that will actually transform us from the inside out. That we will actually look more like Jesus the more we dive into the word of God because it is transformative, not just informative. What I also love about this, the book of Psalms, is that it's full of prayers of people with raw emotions. And listen, I need that because I have raw emotions I don't know what to do with, right? And they, they could be overwhelming emotions. It could be both negative and positive. I can be so joyful that I don't even know how to express myself in words. Or I can be so disappointed or so discouraged, or depressed, that I don't know how to speak to my God. And the Psalms give us the very words that we need because it's so raw. I am so thankful for these Psalms that we have. So we're going to be looking at Psalm 37. 
And we're going to be uh, asking a, a few questions, but one of the things I want to kind of get us ready for to set our minds in this is, what if you could go back and talk to your past self? Now, there's a lot of movies that are out right now that are about kind of, you know, going back and time travel and all of these things. And so what if you could go back and talk to your, yourself? Maybe there were some moments that were very difficult for you that you wish that you could have kind of changed. Maybe you would have talked to yourself and, hey, don't get into that relationship. Maybe don't get into that job. Maybe there is an investment that you would have made in Apple or Tesla, right? Amen? Right? We would have gone back to ourselves and said, hey, listen, I want to give you guys some heads up on what's going on. Maybe it's actually a good thing. Maybe, maybe you, were, you remember when you were younger and you were in a very difficult time and you wish you could just go back and say, hey, it actually gets better. Right, that you're going to find that person, that, that, that you are going to have that career, that God is going to save you from this, right? Now, David, the writer of this psalm, is not going back into the past. He's not a time traveler, but he's had some experience. We see that in verse 25. He gives us that the reality is that he has had some experience, and he wants to give the younger generation some clarity on what is to come for them, and so David is doing this for us. He's going to declare that God will not forsake his saints. That's the whole thing of this passage. God is not going to forsake his saints. I need to hear that. They needed to hear that. Why would Israel need to hear that from this psalm? So we're going to be looking into that. I want to point out four quick things. Number one, uh, this is more of a proverb than it is a prayer. You're going to recognize that. Most of the Psalms, it's a prayers to God. What we're seeing is this is actually wisdom. Something is being given to the reader. Not only that is the writer is not speaking directly to the Lord. He's speaking directly to the people. So you're going to notice that. Like, why is it not a prayer to God? Well, actually, it's directions for you, not just for Israel, but actually for us. That's a huge component of this. Number three, this is about covenantal faithfulness which all Psalms are. It's about the covenant that God has given his people. And number four, you're going to find a familiar statement in this passage. The meek shall inherit the earth or the land. Now we've heard that before. In Matthew chapter five, Jesus is speaking on the Beatitudes. In five, verse five, he says, the meek shall inherit the land or the earth. So one of the things that we'll notice is Jesus uses this psalm as a means to share with the Beatitudes. So if you love the Beatitudes, you're going to love Psalm 37 because part of it is where Jesus gets that out of. So let's go ahead and kind of step into this together. I want to do this. I want us to, as I've been thinking through this passage, and the best way to describe the things that are going on in this passage for me is what we're going to see is Israel surrounded by nations— right, that are doing what they think that their nations should be doing. They have their own gods. They have their own way of life. And there are at times, Israel is always looking out to say, hey, is this better than what we have? And so what I've been wrestling with in my own heart is this question. Will you settle your heart by trusting in God? That is what this continues to ask for us. So again, you may come in this morning maybe with heavy burdens or maybe you've come in with hopeful expectations and this psalm will help with all of that. Maybe some of us have been going through something very, very difficult or have just come out of something difficult. Maybe expectations at work or in family are really, really high. Deadlines are always at us. 
And so we're trying to figure out, can I hold on? Can I trust in the Lord? Or maybe it's a prayer for blessing. Maybe there's expectations. I want to see a future where there's something beautiful and wonderful as I'm trusting in the Lord. And as believers, sometimes we feel a disconnect. We feel a disconnect with what we're trying to fulfill, what we're trying to be a part of, and everything else in the world, and maybe even in scriptures. As we try to act in accordance with the scripture, we kind of look at other people's lives, and they're kind of doing what they want to do, right? And sometimes it looks like they're prospering, and we're not. So the question answers, am I going to settle my heart by trusting in the Lord? I know a lot of times when I look out upon the world and I kind of see the things that are happening and maybe people are doing things that I don't agree with, I don't think the scripture teaches, but yet they're prospering, my mind goes, maybe I should go back to reverting to BC living, you know, before Christ, right, in my own life, instead of trusting in the Lord. So what we want to see is this psalm is about trust, but we don't want to miss this. David is instructing by exalting the Lord as greater than the nation's that are around them. What is David trying to do? He wants us, and he wants, to, he wants us to see that he is exalting the Lord over everything else that is happening around them. So based on the true God, the one of Israel to the people he's serving, he's instructing them through wisdom. So why does David trust in the Lord? Why does he fall into this exalting instead of distrust? So this is what we're going to be walking through today. So First thing we want to see is that David trusts God. Why would he do that? For he, speaking of the Lord, holds the end and cares for his people. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and 9 and 10. So we're going to kind of pop around here and there. So uh, verse 1 says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Let's go down to verse 8. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. So there are moments where he's writing, and he says in verse 1, they will wither. In verse 8 and 9, it says, they will be cut off. This is a future tense. These things will happen. You may not see it. Your optics In Israel, they may not see it now. They look like they're prospering, but something is coming. And David says, trust in the Lord, for he holds the end, and he cares for his people. Now, I uh, got married in 2009, and I was brought into the college football world. I was not a college football fan, but my wife uh, went to the University of Georgia. Um, Her dad went to the University of Georgia. So I I I got grafted in, right? So now I know what I do from, you know, October to, the, to January. I know where my, my headspace is. And so one of the things that I'm recognizing is the story of kind of the UGA, right? That several years, they, were, they were always, have always been a good team. 2017, they got really close, lost their game for the national championship. But then in 2021, here we are. We're sitting at the national championship game again. We've already lost to Alabama in the SEC championship. I'm telling you, I was focused in. Every play mattered right? Every hike, every run, every pass, every bad call. Like, man, I was getting super anxious and angry all the time. Everything mattered, right? And so here we are. I'm watching this game, and lo and behold, 
there is a great moment where Georgia just continues to dominate in the fourth quarter, and then they win 33 to 18, right? We're all, woo, we're getting really excited, right? Big drought, 40 years done. Now, I'm kind of the sports guy that as I get ready for certain things, I start watching old tape. I don't know if you guys do this. I kind of watch old things, right? I already know what's gonna happen, but sometimes I'm watching the Georgia-Alabama game and I still get really tense, right? Like when Stetson kind of threw that ball, kind of looked like a fumble, but they called it a fumble and they got it like on the 15 or 20 yard line. Like I could still get really intense about that moment, but I have to remind myself, John, they win 33 to 18. Why am I getting so anxious about this play when I know the end result is 33-18? This is what David is doing for us. Guys, I know it looks like you're losing, but you win in the end. You win. And that's what he's saying. Our God wins. We exalt the Lord. Why? Because he wins. He will. These things will take place. Don't get in the mix of this every day, just, you know, kind of passes and all this ups and downs. Like at the end, we win 33-18. And this is what he's causing us to do as we begin to try to settle our heart. How do we do that? We trust that the Lord knows the end and that he cares for his people. Verses 1, 7, and 8, he tells us some things that we should be doing. Do not fret. What does fret mean? Fret is simply it's anger. It is an anger that comes with it. David is speaking to an audience that he assumes is either going to be angry or envious. Why would be, they be angry in this moment? Again, they're looking out to other nations and they see that they are seeing these pagans, right? These people that do not believe God, that are do not worshiping the God of Israel, and they're living outside of their own covenants and their own ideas of what things should be like. And in verse 7, Verse 12 and verse 14. Let's look at those really quickly. In verse 7, it says, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourselves over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. What do they see when they look out from Israel? What do they see? They see people that are prospering. Well, we're trying to trust the Lord. We're following the commandments, and others are prospering. How does this make sense? Right? Remember, God had given them Exodus. He's given them this beautiful redemption story. He puts them on two mountains. He says that blessings and cursings, right? They know that these people should be cursed, and yet they're looking and they're seeing them being prosperous. Not only do they see them being prosperous, but in verse 12, it says this. The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at him. Right, verse 12. So they are going against righteous people. They are attacking righteous people. That doesn't sound good. Why would they be, uh, be successful if they're planning against the righteous? And number 14, verse 14, it says, The wicked draw the sword and bend their bows to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose way is upright. So not only are they attacking the righteous, but they're oppressing people. They're taking down the poor and the needy. They're slaying those who are righteous. Now, who are the righteous in this passage? Well, according to Scripture, since the Exodus, it's those of God's people. So who are they attacking? Who are they coming against? Who are they oppressing? It's God's people. It's the covenant people. They're being attacked by other nations. And they're watching this take place. And go, I don't understand. It looks like we're losing. And yet these people are being successful. So God's people in God's land with God's law, are being attacked. So not only are they angry about it, but some of us and some of them 
we're not angry. Maybe you're not the angry person. Yeah, it's all right. You know, things happen. But then he gives us another framework, another emotion that's called envy. Do not be envious. You see, David knows that there is a destructive pattern with the Israelites, right? We see this all the time, especially in Judges, right? Where God would bless his people and what would happen? They start to see shiny things and go, man, I want that. This is from the garden, y'all. This is Genesis 3, right? God is lacking in what he should be giving to me. And so therefore I need to go find it somewhere else. So it causes distrust. And so what do they do? They go and they start to find shiny things and they begin to lose their way and they just go down, right? The Israelites play the comparison game. They start looking at the other nations and they lose their focus on the Lord, exalting him. And they begin to look for the pearls and the pleasures of the world. Y'all, this is where we find ourselves, even as Christians, right? God has given us a great promise. And we say, I don't know if that's going to work out, but I see these people are being successful. Let me go ahead and dive into that. Let me look at this shiny thing. And maybe we find ourselves just playing the comparison game a little bit. So what does David do? He says, look, don't, do not be angry, but also do not be envious. These shiny things, right? Maybe some of those things are like radical individualism. I do what I want, when I want, how I want. You see that, right? I see that in the world. My children do it really well, right? I do what I want, when I want. I'm like, what's going on? You know, I, I love you so much. Don't do that. That's not good. Or maybe the world in its idea of intimacy, I'm going to do this. I know, I know the Bible says this. I know Christians say this. I know church says this, but I'm going to do it my way. And they look like they're being successful, right? Okay. Well, it looks like it's working out for them. Why are they not cursed? Why are these things not happening? They look great, right? Maybe it has to do with accountability, right? That, well, you don't need to hold me accountable for this. I'm going to do it my way. But some of it, maybe it's not necessarily individualism. Maybe it's just that materialism and that consumerism. This is, this is the culture that we're in. I want that. I need that. Someone needs to serve me, right? That's that consumerism. Give me what I want instead of me serving others. And those nations for Israel were doing some of the similar things. They were doing what they wanted. And they were doing very horrible things. And yet we're looking at Israel, and we're looking at David, and David's saying, listen, don't follow that. Do not do that. Do not fret. Do not go get an, to be angry. Why? Because he tells us. Because God is greater than the opposing nations. That's what David is saying. God is greater than the rest of the nations. Whatever they have promised them, whatever they have given to them, it is not better and greater than God himself. And he will prosper his people. So let's look at what, again, what happens to the wicked in verse 2, 9, and 10 really quick. So 2, 9, and 10, it just says this. For they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Right? That doesn't sound good at all. This is what's going to happen to the wicked. Verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. They're going to be cut off. And then really quickly in verse 15, we go back to the same verses that we're looking going, man, they're, they're oppressing people. What's going to happen to those who oppress those? It says their sword shall enter their own heart and their, and their bow shall be broken. This is the promise. Why? Because God is greater than those nations. That's what David wants us to understand. God is greater. We should exalt the Lord because he's greater. So how does David calm their emotions, anger, and envy? 
he says that they will not be forgotten for their faithfulness. Y'all, they're not gonna be forgotten for their faithfulness because their God is faithful to them and he is great. And he dwells with them, not with the other nations. That is their promise. So David is calling us and calling the Israelites to exalt the Lord. Why? Because he holds the end and he cares for his people. Number two, David trusts God for he reveals his plan and his promises to the righteous. Let me read verses three through 11 really quick. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land in just a little while. The wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. So God gives us and reveals to us his plan and his promises. There's a very familiar book called The Silver Chair written by C.S. Lewis as part of the Narnia series. And in chapter two, there's a, there's, there's a moment where Jill meets with Aslan for the first time and they begin to have this conversation. And Aslan is giving her these four signs so that she would know what to expect in the future, what's coming for her and what's coming for the journey. And he goes through this and we're gonna read really quickly this quote from that book. It says this, as the lion seemed to have finished, Jill thought she should say something. So she said, Thank you very much. I see. See that? I see. Child, said Aslan, in a gentler voice than he had yet used, perhaps you do not quite, you do not see quite as well as you think. But the first step is to remember. Repeat to me in order the four signs. Jill tried and get, didn't get them quite right. So the lion corrected her and made her repeat them again and again till she could say them perfectly. Why do I bring up this? Is because as God's people, as Israel is looking at the other land, David's saying, no, we exalt the Lord, the one who's brought us out of all, all of our slavery. We follow him. And what I need to do is to remind Israel of who they are and what they should be doing and not looking at the land of others. That's what he's doing. And sometimes the Israelites will say, I see, I get it. And he's like, no, you don't. Right, so he gives us Psalm 37. And we, we even at times go, no, no, I get it. Like, trust the Lord, John. Everybody knows that. Like, that's so simple. Trust the Lord. Like, is that it? Can we just go home now? Right? And yet we say we see, but there are times where we're just like, do we really get it? And Psalm 37 is a restatement over and over and over. Why, why is it 40 verses? Because we tend to forget. And so he's gonna say it over and over and over. Why? Because Israel had a journey to take. Israel needed to be reminded of these things. So this is the plan in verse three through 11. So why God's people wait upon the Lord and trust in him, they're not just sitting in the meantime. God actually gives them things to do. So we, we see that David says, follow the commands. 
What are the commands right here in this passage, starting in verse three? Dwell in the land, right? Trust in the Lord and do good. What does that mean? How do we do good while we wait for the Lord? It says dwell in the land. Now for them, that was Israel. That means don't go anywhere else. Don't try to go find it anywhere else. I've told you I'm gonna prosper this land. Dwell in the land. Don't go anywhere else and befriend or cultivate or strive after faithfulness. What does it mean to strive after? It means to remind themselves over and over again of who God is and what he has done so that they would exalt him instead of being distracted by the world. That's what he's telling them to do. Cultivate faithfulness. How do you do that? You sit with the word of God. They sat with the word of God. They looked over what had been given to them and they prayed and they meditated and they said, I'm gonna trust you instead of trusting what's out there. I'm gonna trust you instead of doing that. Another thing that were commanded to and they, they, they were commanded to do was to actually delight in the Lord. You know that it's a command to delight in the Lord. We just thought that was like, well, that happens as we're like trusting him, but there's also commandment to actually do that. We should delight ourselves in the Lord to have joy in God. And in doing so, what we're gonna find is that we're gonna get the desires of our heart. Now, again, God transforms our desires. So it's not like I want a Maserati, and I'm gonna pray and God's gonna give that to me. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, as I trust in the Lord and I am being transformed into the very image of Christ and this goodness of God and what God has given me, the desires are going to be for him and the things that are good for our people. There's a quote from John Piper that hit me this week. It says, you can't pursue a God if you are not sure if that God is for you. And he's saying, listen, your God, Israel, is for you. I need you to pursue him. I want you to pursue him. I want you to delight in him. Not only is that a commandment, but there's also another few. Commit your way to the Lord, right? We see that in these verses. Trust in him. What does that mean to trust in him for the Israelites? That means to follow the commandments that have been given to them. They had 613 commandments that they had to follow. That's what that meant, to trust in him. Commit your way. Do the things that I've given you. Go to the festivals. Do the things that I have given you. Even in relationships, honor your marriage covenant. Uh, be generous um, to be forgiving people. This is what God's commandments called them to do in Israel. And that the promise would be, again, he gives us a plan, but then he gives us some promises. And we're gonna be looking at that. So one of the, another thing that he says is refrain from anger. Again, that's another commandment in verse eight. I was talking to my daughter this morning about, or not this morning, uh, yesterday morning about anger because I was getting ready for this pass and I said, baby, when we get really, really angry and we step through that door, the only thing in that room is evil. That's what the Bible says in verse eight. Refrain from anger. Why? It tends only to evil. We open that door, the only thing in the room is evil. But when we trust in the Lord and we open that door, there's good there. Like that is the tension of that passage. He's giving us not only a command, but he's also giving us a promise. In those verses, it says, those who wait on the Lord will inherit the land. He's not saying just do it, just to do it. He's saying, if you do this, you will inherit the land. Everything else that's going on around you, all that stuff's gonna fade away, but you will actually inherit the land. Now, for us, again, when we think about this, we're like, okay, well, I'm waiting for the Lord. What does it look like to trust in the Lord and do good? Well, there's two ditches we can find ourselves in. Sometimes we would say things like, well, if God's gonna do it in the end, well, I'm just gonna let go and let God, let him, let him do his thing. Okay, that's not biblical. We don't need to do that because the Bible doesn't say let go. The Bible says trust in the Lord and do good. 
right? So we want to do good. It means to be faithful to what the Lord has commanded us to do. But it also doesn't mean, what's, what's the other ditch? It's to stir up evil, right? Like, man, there's so many times where I see evil and wickedness in the world, and I just want to get on Facebook and just blast some folks, right? I don't need to do that either. I don't need to stir up evil. So it doesn't mean like, well, I don't really care what's going on in the world, but also like, I'm just gonna go stir some stuff up. I'm just gonna go make some comments and just tick people off because that's what I feel like I need to do. That's not what it says that we should do either. It says trust in the Lord and do good. So that, what it means is that we would exalt the Lord and believe in his promises that they are greater and more truer than the nations around us. So let's continue to look at those, some of those promises. Five and, five and six really quickly. He will act. God promises that he will act. Y'all, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. That's what the Bible tells us, right? God will bring vengeance to those. He says he's going to act. What will he do for us as we're struggling, wrestling? We're like, man, listen, man, these things are happening to me and I don't know what to do with them and I feel so emotional about some of these things. It says that he will bring forth your righteousness as the light. You know what that means? That as the light comes up every morning and you don't do anything about it, you just know it's coming, Man, your righteousness, what your faithfulness does is like the light that comes every morning and your justice as the noonday. It will come. It will come for you. It's a beautiful promise to the Lord. And then again, verse 9 and 10, you're going to inherit or they're going to inherit the land. This is a beautiful promise. So not only does David tell us to exalt the Lord by trusting that he holds the end and he cares for his people, that he reveals his plan and his promises to the righteous, but also David trusts God for he fulfills promises, destroying the wicked and delivering the righteous, which is the rest of the passage from 12 to 40. This is just a, a wave after wave after wave of reminders that we need because I'm gonna go off and I'm gonna forget. And I'm gonna need to come back and be like, what's going on? How does this work? Man, because I'm seeing that they're being prosperous. I'm seeing they're being successful. I'm, uh, I need to come back. Oh, wave after wave of similar statements concerning the end. So we're gonna look at some of those together. These are some of the passages. Again, we're just gonna kind of pop around these. So these are the scriptures, verse nine and 10, 22, 29, 34, 38. You can look at all of those passages together. What's happening? The righteous inherit the land and they delight themselves in peace. That sounds really great. What happens to the wicked? They're gonna be cut off and they'll be no more. In verse 16 and 24, the people of God, they actually do more with less and the Lord upholds them. But for the wicked, they do less with more and shall be broken. What that, what that means is that their hands for grabbing wealth will be shattered. That's what it means when hands will be broken. They'll reach out and they'll be broken. Verse 18, the people of God, the righteous, they will be known and provided for. They will have a forever inheritance. But for those that are wicked, they will be cut and they will be left in shame. Man, shame. They're going to be left in that. Verse 35, God's people will be exalted. But for the wicked, they will be remembered no more. Listen, the people that we might look at and say, man, look how successful they are. They're going to be remembered. They will not be remembered. They will be remembered no more. Verses 33, 39 through 40, even 9 and 10 this idea is that God is their stronghold for the righteous, their refuge, and he will deliver them. But what do the wicked get? They will be, there will be no refuge or salvation. 
Now, again, some of us might be thinking, man, I don't think that this is working out. Like, I, I feel like I'm trying to follow the Lord, and yet I see this prosperous people. I want to let you guys in on something. We see that in this passage. We also see it in Romans 1. Sometimes the judgment of God is time and being left alone by God. Time and God not engaging with them, not sending people to them to tell them about Christ because they've rejected it so many times. See, we think it's like, well, they're prospering. Things are going well. But all they're doing is they're accumulating more wrath and they're just living. And again, in Romans 1, we see that, that there's no accountability for those people. They're just constantly digging in and digging in. We're like, where is God's judgment? It's there. It's time and abandonment. No longer are they being held accountable. God leaves them to their own devices. That's what's happening. My church just went through the book of Esther, and we see this even with Haman. Haman built a gallow to try to destroy Mordecai. Do you remember that? It was a huge, it was like several, several feet up. And he did this and said, hey, I'm going to prove to the world that I'm greater and that I have something to prove, and I'm going to take out Mordecai. And what happens in the end? He's hung on his own gallows. Right? The wicked are prospering, but that doesn't mean that they're not being judged. So again, here is the test of the righteous. So again, we're looking at it and go, okay, what does it mean to be righteous then? For the Old Testament people, we see, again, we need to know what this looks like. And he gives us some tests in some of these verses. So God's covenant people who trust in the Lord, what does that look like? Well, again, in verse 34, it says that they wait upon the Lord. That is, a, that is a natural outflow of them trusting the Lord, is waiting on him. They're also very generous people. They give back in verse 24. They turn from evil and do good in verse 27. In verse 30 and 31, their tongue speaks of justice and the law of God is on their hearts. Now, for me, there's a moment in this passage that should cause us to consider which one are we? Which one? Well, first and foremost, if we're looking at the text in Psalm 37, we already know that we have an issue because we're not Israelites. Well, I would assume most of us are not Israelites in this room. We're, we're Gentiles. So we're outside of God's covenant people. David is writing to God's covenant people. And if we're in the Old Testament, we got a problem because we're not there. Not only do that, but we find ourselves failing at a lot of these commands. Just practically speaking, we're falling into these things. We're engaging in some of the consumerism and some of the individualism. We're kind of spotty with our faithfulness. I don't know about you guys, but even when I'm being faithful, there's times where I get really angry or envious of others. I gotta pray that. Lord, will you forgive me? Ultimately, we can't even make sacrifices. Like, again, in Israel, they made sacrifices for their sin. I'm not tra I can't travel to Israel every year for atonement, right? So these are, these are concerns for us as we read the text. Like, man, we're in trouble. We're not Israelites. We can't go to the sacrifices. Uh, we're, we're failing at most of these things throughout the day. And we're in danger of being in the category of the wicked. So I know that you guys go through a particular question every Sunday, and it's the, very simply this, how does the Psalms point to Jesus? So we're gonna do that right now. Again, my hope for this morning is that we would exalt Christ so that we would not be distracted by the world, right? So how great is our God? 
For the Old Testament to be faithful meant to follow and, be, and have faith in the law of God and, 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 and be in the land. That's what it meant. But our faithfulness is not in the law. Where does our faithfulness come to now? Well, now in the New Testament, we say our faithfulness comes in our trust in Jesus Christ, in Jesus Christ for his forgiveness of our sin and his righteousness given to us. So greater, we have something greater than the Old Testament, right? Where here's the law, here's the land, do this, be faithful. Well, what if I'm not faithful? What if I can't follow all those all the time? Here's Christ. Here is this greater joy for us. You see, for us, there is a very gracious thing that we have been given. See, when, when we do good and suffer, we still fail because we are not perfect. So I'm going to read. How am I going to connect this? I want to connect this with 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. I'm just going to read it to us. And I want you to think about this. For this is a gracious thing. When, mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. Connecting to this Old Testament passage. They're being faithful to the Lord, they're trusting in the Lord, and they're suffering. For what credit is it when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? Right? We all agree with that. Right? If you do something wrong and you get disciplined, that makes sense. But what if you didn't do anything wrong and you suffer? He says, but when you do good and suffer for it, you endure this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. Then it says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. What's the example? So that you might follow his steps. Jesus committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. Remember that? Fret, do not be angry. Do not be envious. Don't go attack. This is Jesus is doing this right here in this passage. He's doing it for us. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. What did he do? But continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus is doing what Psalm 37 requires for us to do. Jesus is doing it. And then it says, he bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So again, Jesus gives us this righteousness. He takes it. He entrusts the Lord. He doesn't get angry. He doesn't get envious. He lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He resurrects from the dead. And what does he give us? His righteousness. So now all the promises that are in Psalm 37 are given to the righteous. Who are the righteous? Not the ones that get it right, but the, ones who believe, the one who believes that Christ has done it right for them. They're granted righteousness. So all of the plan and the promises are given to us now. This is a beautiful thing. So what does it mean to be a part of the covenant people? It doesn't mean follow the law, everything will be good. It means follow Jesus for us in the New Testament. That's a beautiful thing. So again, what is going to cause us, and as we end, I just want to ask this question, what is going to cause you in the next week to distrust in the Lord? Because we're talking about trust. We're talking about exalting the Lord, that he's better than anything else that will ever come into our past. We need to trust in the Lord and do good, what's going to cause you to distrust, to distrust in the Lord? Y'all, listen, when we wander from exalting, 
we find ourselves distrusting or distracted. That's what David is calling us to. Listen, exalt the Lord, because if you don't, you're going to be distracted or you're going to be distrusting of him. I have to do this every morning. I was sharing this with James this morning, probably for the last two years. Every morning, I get up and I say some version of Psalm chapter, chapter 37, verses 3 through 5. And I literally wake up and say, trust in the Lord and do good. <laughs> I have to say that because I know my heart. I know where I'm going to the shiny things, to the pearls and the pleasures. Like I know that that's my heart sometimes. I'm just seeking it out. And I'm like, wait, wait, wait. When I wake up, what am I supposed to do? Trust in the Lord and do good. Why? Because God is better than anything and he's given me his righteousness. So no matter if it's our past or our future or the way of the wicked, don't look at any of those things. Wake up every morning with great hope. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions about this message, visit us at crosspointptc.com. There you can contact us, find further resources, and directions to our gatherings. That's C-R-O-S-S-P-O-I-N-T-E-P-T-C dot com.